Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, hey, church. Happy Sunday. I I hope you're doing well. I hope your family is doing well. I hope your job is going well. I hope you more and more are being impacted by the love of Jesus. If you're new to our community, we are absolutely in love with Jesus. We think he is God. We think he is Lord. Uh, We think he is everything that he says he is. We believe that he died for our sin and he rose again on the third day paving the way for our salvation and the salvation of the world and then adopting us into his great, big, historical, um, eternal, global family. And I just want you to know that if you are new, there is room for you. There is room for you uh, in this church specifically. And we hope that you're getting connected. We hope you are finding uh, places of community. We want to help you do that. And before we get started today, I just want you to know, Jubilee Church, that, man, God has been stirring my affection for you. In fact, I find myself praying for you all the more uh, as every day goes by. And I I believe that God wants you to experience his love in a new way, in, in a profound way. And the fact is going to be a supernatural love for other people that's going to bear fruit, that's gonna bear, you know, righteousness, is gonna bear joy and peace and um, patience and kindness in such a way that's gonna draw you closer and closer uh, to one another in ways that maybe you have never, ever experienced. I just want to say how important that is, because as the world gets more and more divided, I believe God is calling his church to be more and more united. And that will not happen because we agree on secondary matters. In fact, we'll probably never agree on secondary matters. And it won't happen just because we simply give up on what we want. But here's the key. I believe that God wants to change what we want. Uh, that God wants to make Jesus what we ultimately want, so much so that everything else just seems secondary. And I believe he's going to do a great work. And I don't know what heaven is going to look like, but I do know that his church will be standing around the throne, uh, standing around the throne of God, worshiping the Lamb of God. And uh, in other words, what's going to bring people together is not a revelation about secondary matters, but it's going to be a revelation about who Jesus is. And that's my prayer for you. I've been praying for you. I've just been praying that God would pour his love into your heart. And that was going to have an effect in your family, uh, in our church, in our communities. I believe God's going to do a great, great thing. And I just want you to know if you're struggling, man, we're going to get through this. It's been a long season, a long 18 months, a long pandemic. And I believe that we are going to get through this. Jesus is bigger than the divide in our country. He's bigger than this pandemic. He's bigger than whatever problem that you are facing specifically. And I believe that he wants to make that real to you today through this series and through our life together. And in case I haven't said this lately, I do love you. I do pray for you. And I want you to know that the elders love you. They pray for you. We care deeply for you, which is why we are in this series about mental and emotional health. We care about the whole of you. And last week we, we launched this series on this uh, on mental emotional health, 40 days of mental emotional health, not just on Sundays, but in discussion groups. Uh, and let me just say that in these groups is where you're going to find the transformation today. And, and on Sunday, uh, you're gonna get information and by God's grace, I hope some inspiration, 
But when you get together, when you open your Bible, when you open your mind, when you open your heart with brothers and sisters and begin to share, begin to discuss, that's where transformation happens. And so I hope you have found that group. If you're not in one, uh, man, get in one today, sign up for one today. And if you are in one, engage. It's so important that you engage and, and God's gonna do a great, great work. Well, uh, the, pandem- the, pandemic. The, the pandemic did not start any trends, but it certainly accelerated some. And there were some downward trajectories in our culture uh, that the pandemic accelerated. We were in a downward trajectory when it comes to mul- uh, mental and emotional health. And I think it's fair to say that we've experienced actually two pandemics. One is th- the one that everyone's talking about that's affecting our physical health. But there's another one that hardly anyone's talking about that's affecting our emotional and mental health. In 2020, the mental health hotline went up 900%. One out of four under the age of 30, this breaks my heart, considered suicide. Divorce filings were up 20%. Antidepressant medication was up 300%. And these these kind of stats were already bad, but in 2020, they just got much, much Worse, And uh, let me just confess that we have not done well in addressing this topic. The church as a whole in America has not done well in addressing this topic. Jubilee specifically has not done well in addressing this. And that's not good, especially because I believe the church has been giving the orders by our commander to run toward the darkness and not run away from it. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. So where there is hurt, where there is pain, where there is suffering, we should find the church right in the middle of that, pointing to Jesus, pointing to the life that Jesus offers. But to make matters worse when it comes to mental and emotional health, and I think specifically our topic today, which we're talking about depression, we've attached a stigma to it, unfortunately. Uh, you, You can't see the people that are with me in this room right now, but there are three men uh, wearing glasses. And uh, my wife wears glasses. My, I've got two kids that wear glasses. Nine of the 12 elders wear glasses. And perhaps you wear eyeglasses. And the reason why you wear eyeglasses, the reason why these guys in the room wear eyeglasses is because their eyes are not working at top efficiency. And nobody thinks that people who wear eyeglasses, they lack faith and or they're not praying enough or they're not reading their Bible. Uh, They just have a part of their body that's not working. Let me just say that your mind is a part of your body. And when you experience uh, emotional issues, mental issues, that's a part of your body. We don't think less of people who wear eyeglasses. We should not think less of people when they are struggling in their minds. In fact, we should have so much compassion. We want to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. We want, because we don't want there to be shame. We want, want people to be accepted. We want people to be able to express where they're at so that Jesus can touch their life. It's bad enough that someone struggles. It's even that much worse that they have to struggle alone. Nobody should have to, hey, we're all going to struggle. Jesus said we're all going to struggle in this life, but man, we should not have to struggle alone. A few qualifiers for today's talk. Uh, Number one, I am not a mental or emotional health expert. In fact, doing a series like this, quite frankly, scares me to death. I've been very intimidated by this. Uh, I question whether or not we, we, I wanted to do it. Well, 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 actually, I didn't question whether I wanted to do it. I questioned whether we should do it because I did want to do it. But I, I knew that God was leading us this direction. Plus, I know that people are hurting. Uh, but it's an intimidating topic because I'm not 
an expert. I, I, I'm learning and I want to help. And um, so I'm going to do my best. But like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm learning too. Secondly, I want to remind you, like I said last week, I'm not coming at this angle as a psychiatrist or a counselor. Super value those fields and, and so important and helpful. But, but my assignment is as a pastor and a Bible teacher. But I would say there are, I definitely, definitely believe that there are biological reasons for depression. I believe that, that medication and therapy could be the course for you. I don't believe that you know, depression is something that you just have enough faith for, should be able to pray away. And it's, you know, I don't believe, I mean, it can be that way. I mean, I do know people who have been miraculously healed um, from depression through the power of prayer. And we need to contend for that, just like we do that for other kinds of physical healings. I contend for physical healings, although not everyone uh, gets healed. I pray, you know, people have been healed from diabetes, but I also know people who continue to take Insulin, And so we have to live in that, that tension. But all that to say, if you are on medication, um, I, I hope you feel like you have a home here without judgment. We, we want to be, again, again, we want to be a place that it's okay not to be okay. But at the same time, my assignment, once again, is to help us understand what the scriptures say. And uh, uh, depression is a, is a very broad term and there's lots of reasons, including biological reasons. But uh, scientists are increasingly saying that biology is not the main reason. And while it's very important that we don't downplay biological reasons, uh, I don't want that to take the whole narrative or we will miss really some things that could uh, be some great solutions for mental and emotional health and miss the grace of God in our life because depression is skyrocketing. And that's not because our biology is changing, but because our environment is changing, our lifestyles are changing and how we perceive reality is changing. Well, similar to physical pain, depression is not a malfunction, but is a sign, it is a signal. Um, we, at my house, we have this aggregate rock pavement in our driveway in the summertime. And because of my arrogance and laziness, I will foolishly, go check the mail in my bare feet and I'll make it about five feet before it feels like my feet are on fire. So I'll hop over to the grass and I'll have to call my wife on my cell phone to go find my shoes and throw them out the door so that I can go get the mail. Now, pain in that moment is a signal that something wrong. If I was just to press through that pain, come on, Brian, you got to go for this. If I was just to like do that, I mean, I'm I'd be walking on my knees right now. I would have melted through my feet, through my legs. Pain is something, it says that something is wrong and it changes you. Let me just be clear. Pain is not a sign that you are wrong. Your pain, your illness does not have to be our, your identity. What I struggle with is not who I am. How I feel is not who I am. God wants to save you, restore you, help you, deliver you, but it's pain is a sign. Depression is a sign. Uh, and there's a tension here because we are going to struggle. I absolutely believe God wants freedom for us. He wants freedom from anything that ails us. But we have this tension because we are going to struggle. And as you open up the scriptures, you see people who struggle. Most religions actually will try to hide the flaws of the heroes. But when you open up the Bible, it's almost like it goes out of its way to uh, exposed the flaws of its heroes. I mean, in here, you're going to see adulterers, you're going to see murderers, you're going to see uh, persecutors, and you're even going to see 
um, depressed people. Jeremiah, the prophet, he was a depressed prophet. Besides writing the book of Jeremiah, he wrote a book about Lamentations where he talked openly about his depression. In Lamentations 3.17, it says, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. I don't even know what success looks like anymore. Nothing in my life is working. You know, I'm just, I'm depressed. My marriage isn't working. My job's not working. My parenting's not working. I, I forgot what success looks like. And then in verse 18 says, so I say my splendor is gone and all that I hoped from all that I'd hope from the Lord. So he's, he's, not, he's saying, I, I don't even feel like God cares anymore. He's just in this downward place, this depressed place, this sad place. Everything he'd hoped from, from God wasn't working out. He didn't have anything anymore. Even God has given up on me. I mean, that, I mean you gotta see how honest the Bible is. Um, it just is brutally honest. It's saying like, here's one of its prophets saying, man, I feel like God is not around me anymore. I just feel at the bottom. I don't feel like I have any hope here. Verse 19, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and goal. There's a playlist uh, on repeat in my mind and the tracks are affliction, wandering or homelessness, bitterness, what others have done to me and my goal, my own wounds. And then verse 20, I, I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. And just in case I'm not making it clear, he's saying, man, I'm not, not doing well. He's depressed. He's disparaging of life. This is the prophet Jeremiah. This is also in the New Testament with Paul. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 8, for we, know, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Okay. He's saying, I don't want you to be aware of something that's going on with me. I've experienced some pain in my life. And then he says this, for we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we have despaired of life itself. Here's Paul saying the pressures that I feel in life, the burdens that I feel in life, man, I'm despairing of life itself. And then Jesus, this is, this is a tough one. We, you know, we know that he's 100% God and we know that he's 100% human. I think his humanity is sometimes something we lose touch of, but this is what he says in the garden. He says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. My soul is very sorrowful, even. Man, he was grieved. He was, he was beginning to feel the, the burden of all the sin of the world. And it, it was beginning to overcome him. Just like some of you feel that way. Just overcome by life and disparaging of life and it's a growing problem, particularly among our young people. And even in this text today, we're, we're learning about a guy named Elijah who was considered one of the greatest prophets, no doubt about it. In fact, in the previous chapter, uh, 1 Kings 18, he stood up against a three-year drought. Uh, he took on 800 prophets of Baal who were wicked men. And he physically went into a cave, which I think is a good metaphor for depression, a place where it's dark, where it's lonely, where it's disorientating, where you know there's a way out. You're just not sure where it is. But he went into that. And so I just want to pull out a handful of things uh, that he experienced and, and see if this won't help us. Uh, the first thing that we see that was characteristic of, of where 
uh, he may have went wrong is, is one is, is that he went it alone. Uh, he went it alone. We talked about this last week, but in the Bible, uh, the first problem we see is not sin, but actually solitude. Um, he went alone. He left in verse three, he left his closest friend, his servant. You read about it. He said he left his, his servant behind. And in verse 18, we actually see that he left uh, 7,000 Israelites. So he, here he is all alone. He has left his best friend. He had left his church community. And now he finds himself alone. Being, being alone is, is not a good place to be. It's not good for man to be alone. It's said of our current American culture that we are the loneliness culture in human history. And even now that in the pandemic, you know, we've, we've had to be distant from one another. Uh, now they, they say socially distant. I think the word physically distant is better because we've never need each other more than we do now. But he left, he went it alone. Uh, and then he began to, and when, when you go it alone, you begin to say some things to yourself that aren't helpful. You do what's called self-ruminating talk. In verse 10, he says, I have been very jealous for the Lord of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophet with the sword. And even I, even I only and left. In other words, he's saying, man, I'm the only one who cares. I'm the only one here, which actually wasn't true. And he knew that was true too. He had 7,000 people back there who would not bow down, but he had began to talk himself into this this narrative. And I use that word self-ruminating talk because you may have heard of a, of a ruminating animal. A, a ruminating animal, like a cow, is, is someone who chews the cud. And uh, when, the, when you chew the cud, what you do is you eat the food, you know, they eat the grass, then they swallow it, and then they regurgitate it back up, then they eat it some more, and then they swallow it, and then they regurgitate it. But they keep doing this over and over again. And let me just say, every time it comes up, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. Just like your thoughts. Every time you are isolated on your own and you're just ruminating, you're ruminating on your own thoughts and you're chewing on them, you're soaking on them, you're going to get to a dark, dark place. And the devil loves self-talk. The devil loves to isolate people, to get them alone because that's when he can begin to accuse them. He can begin to beat them up. He can begin to speak lies to them. He can begin to push them this way and that way. And so number one, we see that he went it alone. Don't go alone. But number two, we have to be careful who we listen to. I mean, sometimes we can listen to our, our, ourselves, but here, here what started this all was actually this threatening Instagram post by Jezebel. Just a threat. He, he takes on these 800 men. He takes on the drought, but it's this woman's threat that totally freaks him out. And I just want to encourage you, what voices are you listening to? Sometimes, like I said, we listen to our own voice or sometimes we just listen to the wrong voice. This is what's called spiritual war warfare. In 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, we're told, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So if I was to tell you, hey man, someone's got a key to your house and tonight they're going to come and you know, they're going to 
come after you in your sleep and they're going to come after your kids and they're going to take valuable stuff from you. They're going to, what would you do? Well, I'll tell you one thing you wouldn't do is you wouldn't sleep. You would stay alert. You'd stay sober-minded. And this is what he's saying, like, man, we have an enemy and we have to be alert. We have to be alert to his schemes. We have to be aware of his schemes that he, he will he will come at us and he will begin to lie at us. And the more we isolate, the more that we get away from God, the more that he can lie to us and the more that he can torment us. And so it says, resist him, be firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by other people. Like we're, we're gonna come under attack. So we need to stand firm in our faith. And God wants to meet you in these dark places. He wants to meet you. In fact, when you read through this story, we hear that God is, he, you know, it says he wasn't, in the, he wasn't in, the, in the earthquakes. He wasn't in the fires. You know, he wasn't in the wind. He wasn't, he's not in the loud things. You know, sometimes we want God to shout to us, but it says he's in the whisper. And the reason why he's in the whisper is because he wants us to be close. He wants to draw us close. And believe it or not, even in dark times, we can experience some amazing things because that's when God can feel the closest to us. In fact, there's this kind of, there's, there's this verse in Isaiah 45 that says that he wants to give us treasures in the darkness. I didn't even know there's treasures in darkness, but there are because it's where we can meet God. And it means that we have to draw close and he wants to speak to you. He wants to whisper to you. And I want to encourage you to draw near to him. And so we have to be careful who we listen to. We also have to watch unmet expectations, he has this great victory and he did all this great work and he was expecting something bigger to happen after this. You know, he kind of like got to the top of the mountain. He's like, is this it? I mean, you know, maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you've uh, given yourself to something and given yourself to something, giving you had hopes, you had dreams and, and you, you had aspirations for your life and you thought things were gonna be different and you got to this place and it's not there anymore. And it, it sends you in this downward spiral of depression. I mean, I feel this, man. You know, I preach a sermon, I cast a vision. It's like, ah, oh, it didn't go the way I hoped it would go. Or maybe you've done that. You, you should, in your ministry, like you showed up, you know, like you've done all this work for, for volunteers and volunteers don't do what you want them to do. Or you've walked through some painful situation with someone and then they turn your back on you. Or your kids, or you have hopes for your kids and they don't turn out the way that you'd hoped. Proverbs 1312, one of the wisest men ever said this. He said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Yes, it does. Unmet expectations. We can have hopes. We can have dreams. And, and those are good things, man. I want to encourage hope. I want to encourage dreams. But we have to understand that, that hope is not the same thing as our faith. And sometimes because we have hope, we shipwreck our, our faith because our hopes don't work out. But there's a difference between faith and hope. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so faith and hope are connected, but they are different. I'll say it this way. Faith, uh, hope is, is what we want, um, is what we believe for, and, and, and faith is who we believe. And man, faith is so much sturdier than that. Paul in 2 Timothy 1.11, talking about some disappointments, just like maybe you face some disappointments. He says, 
He says, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer the way I do. So he's suffering. Things are not working out the way that he had hoped. But he says, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. So he says, my hopes and dreams, some of them haven't worked out. In fact, they've been dashed and they've been destroyed and they didn't go well. Things haven't gone well. My ministry's not going well. I, I, my circumstances aren't going well. But he says, I am not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not unchanged. Why? Because he knows whom I've believed. And that's what faith is. And that's the thing, is that we can have unmet expectations because we have hopes for things. But may we never lose sight of our faith in who God is. We need to draw close to God. There's a purpose in our pain. He wants to use us. He wants to draw close to you. So unmet expectations. Secondly, comparison. He says, you know, I, I'm, I'm no better than my ancestors. Uh, social media is an amazing tool, but if you're not careful, it's going to cause a lot of pain. I think this is one of the reasons why depression is on the rise, particularly among our young people, because you've got, you've got people comparing themselves to other people and, and just going in a place of depression, thinking they're not good enough, thinking they're not who they need to be. Beautiful young girls thinking they're ugly because they see something on Instagram and the way they look. Let me just tell you something. They don't look that way. That picture is not real. That family is not real. They are not that good looking. They are not that happy. They are not that peaceful. But we see this on social media and we begin to compare ourselves to other people and it begins to cause us to feel depressed. One of the commandments is thou shall not covet. Now, the commandments were not written just to arbitrarily give us some rules. They were, they were written actually to give us a better life. And so to not covet is not like, hey, just this is a wrong thing to do. This is something that's not going to help you. When you compare yourself to other people, it's not going to go well. Teddy Roosevelt um, said this, he said, comparison is the thief of all joy. That is so true that when we can begin to compare ourselves, we begin to lose our joy, to lose our peace. And we go into a downward, downward spiral. Galatians 6, 5 says, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride, a good kind of pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else not comparing yourself. Comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, two more, and I'll do these really quick here as we close here. The other thing that we see in uh, Elijah is that he was overextended. He was overextended. He was exhausted and carrying too much. In fact, he said, I feel like I am the only one. Now we said earlier that actually wasn't true, but that's how he felt. It wasn't true, but he felt like it was true. He had put the world on his shoulders in a way that just was not helpful. And more and more research is pointing to the fact that our lifestyles are actually the main factor in whether or not we experience depression. It explains why it's on the rise. It explains why suicide is on the rise. It explains why depression is different in different cultures. Ecclesiastes 4.6, again, written by Solomon, the wisest person ever, ever, has this to say, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing 
after the win. We believe that if one is good, two is better. If I got one job, I should take another one. If I got one house, I should get another one. Just because you can have one or two doesn't mean that you should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. The Bible says not everything that is permissible is profitable. Not everything that is doable is sustainable. Um, and we exhaust ourselves. We put ourselves to a place of striving, of toiling, of needing, of wanting, because we want to live with two handfuls. And the Bible tells us, look, it's, it's better to have like one handful and have tranquility than to be going for two and have all of this strife. Jesus said, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus was talking about a spiritual rest, but we need a first, a physical rest as well. In fact, as you read in this story, one of the first things God does for him, one of the first things that God does for him before he gives him instruction, before he speaks to him, is that he has him take a nap. And then he wakes him up and gives him something to eat. And then he has him take another nap. And then he wakes him up and he gives him something to eat. And that sustained him for what he had in front of him. We are overextended. If you are overextended, if you are striving, maybe just maybe you need to pull back. And then finally, we see that Elijah lost his purpose. He lost his purpose. In, in, in 1 Kings 19.9, it says, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And maybe that's where you're at. You're just like, man, you've lost your purpose and you're in a place where, man, you shouldn't be. You've lost your purpose. And we read that again. God comes to him in verse 13. But here's a cool thing about God. God wants to restore your purpose. In fact, when you do talk to uh, psychologists, at least some anyway, it, you know, the, 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 the opposite of depression isn't happiness. Actually, the, the opposite of depression is meaning and purpose. It's, you know, depression has an element of sadness, but it's, it's cloaked in despair and my life doesn't matter. And, but actually, man, your life does matter. You do have a purpose. God, God has good plans for you. I mean, that's what Jeremiah, you know, we have that big copy cup verse in Jeremiah 29, you know, God has good plans for you. Jeremiah didn't always think that. He was despairing, but God, he found purpose and he wanted you to know about, about that purpose. And that's what happened with Elijah. And in 1 Kings 19, 14, it says, the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Assyria. In fact, so this is what he does. He just gives him stuff to do. He says, look, you are made for a purpose. You, your anointing as a prophet and a leader is not over. Your life is not over. It has meaning. And I just want to say to you, your life is not over. It has meaning and has purpose. And maybe what you need to do today is, be, is to recapture that, that God would want to bring that back to you. And that's why it's so important. That's one of the reasons why here at Jubilee Church that we build one of the big uh, mission statements or the big uh, statements of purpose that we're chasing after is that we want people to discover their purpose. We want people to know God, want people to find family. We want people to discover purpose. And then by walking in that purpose, making a difference. And I want you to know that he has that for you. And maybe the thing that you need to do is engage your purpose once again. Even the things that have pained you. You know, this Paul said to the Corinthians, he says that God wants to comfort you. And I believe that today. God wants to comfort you today. And then he wants to use that comfort to comfort others. And sometimes we think our pain, 
uh, and our mess and the things that we've experienced disqualify us. But God wants to say to you the exact opposite. Because you've experienced this pain, because you have walked through dark times, that is actually the thing that qualifies you to minister the way that he does. And I want to I wanna invite you to find that out. And if you've not yet go to our, our growth track and you know, getting in community groups, learning, learning that you are made for community, learning that you are made for the purpose, that God has good works for you uh, to walk in. And whatever you experience, whatever you've gone through, God wants to restore that to you today. Well, I wanna pray for you. I, I don't uh, take this, uh, the, what people experience lightly. I know that we've all gone through dark times, especially this past year. We've all had struggles but God really does want to meet you. Um, it's okay not to be okay, but I also want you to know. So I want you to know that it's okay not to be okay, but I also want you to know that God wants to meet you. And so I'm just gonna pray for you. And I wanna encourage you to, uh, to take the next steps that, um, that you need to take, that, that, that I think God would, would have you walk in. And the big one is to, is to be around other people. We just need other people. When I talk to people in our community who, have, who, who would say they struggle with depression, one of the big things that they say that's helped them the most is having people around them. And you need people around you. Let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the scriptures where we could see people who've struggled, even struggled with depression and other mental and emotional problems, Lord God. And we're, we are whole people. We are mind, body, and soul, and, and you care about all of it, Lord Jesus. You care about the hair on our head, and I know you care about every person. I just want to pray for everyone who is suffering right now, who is struggling, who's experiencing really this cave-like experience, disorientating, dark, not knowing where to go. I just pray, God, that you would meet them. Meet them with your light. I pray they would draw close to you. God, you want to draw close to them. You wanna to touch our lives. You wanna give us rest. You wanna give us rest for our souls. You wanna be a place of peace and comfort. And I just speak that, just speak that over every person watching this right now. I just pray for the peace of God to flood your soul. In Jesus' name, amen.